realize it happened again. Her name is Katie Collins. And she'll be eight years old. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are on for our second spookening offering here for the Halloween season. We just looked at Little Otique, the bizarre film Little Otique, and I would say we are getting extra bizarre with our next uh, film here. We are looking at 1979's The Visitor. This is a movie that I had never seen before. Every year I try to do at least one um, of a movie that I'm like vaguely aware of but I've never seen just to expand my horror horizons a bit and that's what uh, we're doing this time I was aware of it that it was supposed to be really bizarre it's on some lists for like bizarre movies and things like that um, and boy is it so we will be digging into it um, some uh, basic background on it uh, it is by a director named Julio uh, or Julio Paradisi, um, but he is credited as Michael J. Paradise. Um, it is one of the director's few films. Um, another film that he directed is entitled Spaghetti House, and Spaghetti House has the um, uh, description of being a 1982 Italian comedy film that is loosely based on the Spaghetti House siege that occurred in 1975. Um, so that was a bizarre sentence to read on the internet. Um, the Spaghetti House Siege. Um, so look that up for uh, if you're a history buff out there. Um, but The Visitor, it is weird. It uh, is hard to describe. We will do our best and go into specifics of the plot. As far as the cast goes, they do have some notable actors in this thing. Uh, Lance Henriksen is in this as the owner of a basketball team for some reason. Glenn Ford, um, who is one of Superman's dads, uh, is a detective, and he was an old cowboy actor and stuff. Uh, John Huston, the famous director and sometimes actor John Huston, uh, shows up in this in a role we will have to figure out during the course of this podcast. Um, we also have Sam Peckinpah. The director, Sam Peckinpah, shows up as a doctor. I didn't know that he really ever acted, so I don't know if he, like, ever acted before. I didn't look into it. Um, but he shows up. Shelley Winters. Uh, she was a famous actress who was in, uh, Night of the Hunter and Poseidon Adventure, many other films of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, she's slumming it in this movie, too. Um, and then uh, Franco Nero has an uncredited role. Uh, he is a Christ-like figure at the beginning and end of the film. Um, Franco Nero is best known for playing the role of Django in the original 60s um, spaghetti western Django. There is an 80s sort of sequel, uh, even though in that movie Django was like, I don't know, like some kind of freedom fighter Unchained. in a war. No, that's well. He does show up in Django Unchained. Uh, yeah, he does yeah. have a cameo in that, uh, but no, the Django kind of has a sequel in the '80s where he's almost like a Rambo figure. Um, it's not particularly good, but the original Django is great. Uh, so Franco Nero shows up, um, but yeah, kind of an assemblage of people you have seen or heard of before. 
Um, and then we'll get into the plot and stuff at its core. This is like a science fiction horror movie with religious overtones, undertones, and medium tones. Um, okay, so for our cast, uh, we've got uh, a couple brothers returning who've been on numerous uh, episodes for us. So uh, welcome back, Jimmy, for The Visitor. Hey, thanks, Linton. And hey, brother. Glad to be on a podcast with you again. And we also have Nate returning here. Uh, the last couple he did were, um, I think we determined you were on Bone Tomahawk and Garbage Pale Kids the movie. So, Yep, always happy to be back to spend time with my favorite person, Linton, and also my brother. Hey, take that, Your Jimmy. 28th favorite person, your brother. <laughs> You're definitely on the list. <laughs> it's a long list. Okay, so uh, not a whole lot of like background stuff on this. Uh, there's some things I can bring up as we go along. Uh, just initial thoughts. What do we make of The Visitor? I found it was one of those movies that when you look at like the cast, you're like, whoa, this has got to be something, right? And then you're like, Whoa! How did they get all these people in this in this movie? And it'd be so bizarre. Like, like you said, having John Huston and Sam Peckinpah, like two directors acting. And I know Huston's done it in the past, but like, you know, it's a pretty solid cast up and down. And then you watch it, and you're just like, yeah. Sometimes it just doesn't all come together. I guess I I can at least answer part of that, Jimmy, because on IMDb it states, according to Lance Henriksen, the cast agreed to do the movie to get a free trip to Italy. Henriksen dislikes the movie, calling it "quote a real turkey." So uh, <laughs> so all these people are like, "Yeah, I'll go to Italy for the summer." That's how most of those bad that. movies yeah. end up coming. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of those Hawaii-based. <laughs> terrible movies <laughs> well it's like when uh an interviewer asked michael Caine once about jaws for the revenge which is like a famously bad movie um like asked him what he thought of it and he says uh i've never seen it and by all rights it's terrible but i have seen the house that it built and it's lovely <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but i don't know you gotta give hats off to I, was it maybe the producer Ovidio G? I can't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to say that last name, Asinatis, or if it's the casting director. But somebody did a really good job of at least pitching it. Like, hey, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, they had to have looked at a script or something and been like, yeah, this isn't good, and then still signed on to go do Italy. So they must have just been looking for a good time because it didn't. The movie didn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing, if we're talking like how they would have got some of these people that you could make a case for is, so this is 79 and it would be coming off of, um, well, you could probably say several prominent films that featured um, similar themes that did very well. And some of those films had high profile people and older actors in them. So the Omen would have been one which had Gregory Peck um, and, you know, other prominent people. Uh, The Exorcist was, like, the most profitable film at the time, I believe. 
um, in like 74. And then prior to those, Rosemary's Baby was also a huge success. So you probably had some people looking at those and being like, oh, religious shit with kids? Yeah, that, that seems to work out. That seems to like get, you know, a bunch of money and some awards and stuff. Sure. And I get to go to Italy? Sign me up. That could explain why this, uh, like you said, has many, like, distant similarities to, like, some of those movies with, like, yeah. kid-possessed, creepy tendency, you know, like, weird stuff going on, but then also inexplicably has, like, you know, like you said, Lance Hendrickson be the owner of a basketball team for, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> You know, one of those like prime examples of let's take something that works and try and make something else. And it's like, I don't know, I should, let's just throw in some random stuff and generally the random stuff is not. We get what, like, like five minutes of a basketball game about 10 minutes into this movie. It's like, I mean, it, what it was a good doing? focus for. Yeah. <laughs> well, until until it smash cuts and is never spoken of again. And what Which is most of this cut, movie? Be- Maybe the best smash cut of I of recent memory. I don't know if we're. I, I don't want to get too far into details. Yeah, you can yet, go, go but, ahead. Go for it. Well, I, I don't think so, we're going to be spoiling much with this film. Yeah. yeah, like so. It's a it's a 100 minute movie, and for the first seven minutes, I was intrigued. Like, what is going on? Anything. Yeah, yeah. Like this is this is like artistic you know it's doing some really interesting like opening sequence with a nuclear fallout of some sort and like visions and john houston is like seeing stuff then it goes into like a religious allegory on a space station then it goes to a basketball game i'm like okay now i'm really confused i was going one direction now we're at now we're courtside (laughs) and it's it's this big close game and it ends with the the star of the 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 rival team uh going up to beat win the game with the last 3 seconds on it he goes up for the dunk and something explodes causing the game to end and the the team owned by uh uh Lance Henriksen to win i think but literally, it ends with this guy going up for a slam dunk and a, a an actual explosion. The backboard on explodes. So, yeah. Something. Well, it was it the backboard. It was just like a bunch of smoke. It I could have been the basketball. basketball. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been the guy. <laughs> with the what I love is they were just like, well, that was the game. We didn't have an extra basketball. Italian <laughs> yeah, basketball. Just, what can we say? We got all the, all the reporters <laughs> pull out their typewriters and start going. Well, you know, he's dead. I guess. <laughs> no, no. My favorite was they didn't pull him out. They put him away like well the game over like was over yeah. like wait you're not gonna report on the fact that the basketball blew up into the game like and then the rest of the i mean a lot of the middle of the movie for what it's worth that first seven minutes had me completely guessing from from shot to shot like what is happening and then it got real slow real quick <laughs> well i think that's the other thing that like when we first when i first put this on the easily the most interesting part both visually and like thematically and like giving you kind of an initial you know initiation point of what the film's going to be about like they kind of outlined that i think it was like zatin is some sort of like mutant with a violent need to kill or something and 
there's he comes in many forms and i i think the whole like dream sequence was like them seeing who the next zatine was going to be in i think so like what form it was he was going to show up in which is why he shows up in like a black robe and you have this like cool sunset with like the clouds rolling in that turned to like snow like it was all like pretty interesting visually and then to nate's point then it cuts to like basketball game and then a lot of time spent in a house yeah with birds (laughs) I don't even think the cut to the basketball game is necessarily bad if they were at that point, if the movie was going to establish like, look, this movie's going to go a lot of places. Like we're going to like touch on the world. Like if they did that and it was like this globe trotting, like you don't know how all these elements are going to come together, but they will. But the thing is they don't. Uh, And like you said, most of it just takes place in a house ultimately. Um for me, the opening stuff, uh, my first thought was like, are we in the Dark Tower? Because it's like, mm-hmm. it's all yeah. like the first book of the Dark Tower, where if anyone's ever read the series, it's like there's one guy, you know, like Roland is being chased or chasing the, I think he's chasing the man in black in the desert. And you just, it looks very similar to that. You have John Houston in these big Obi-Wan Kenobi robes, and then you got some kind of dark figure. I thought the like imagery on its face kind of looked cool of what you're describing, but I didn't think it was particularly well shot. Like it was composed well. Like it was like, like this is like a, this like if this guy was a storyboard artist, like, yeah, this is what you want to shoot. But then they needed like comic, they needed like Ridley Scott and a better camera to like really sell it. Cause like some of it just, I don't know. It just like looked cheap. And I'm like, I'm watching on shutter and it's like a, um, it's a so I'm not watching like a, a shitty version. It's like a a restored version by like Alamo Drafthouse did it several years ago. So like I think it's like as good as it probably ever looked. Um, but uh, but yeah, I but I do appreciate like it's it's it is intriguing. And then they reveal this little girl, and she's like a, like a creepy snow girl. Like she's yeah, like covered face. in snow and shit. And like, it's, it's a cool image. So like, it does get you kind of like, all right, where's this headed? Yeah. I was hooked. I was hooked for that first seven minutes or so because I was hoping for more of that, where it would, you would get this sort of metaphorical vision scenes that you might reveal understanding of, oh, that's what they were trying to tell there. Or maybe you have to watch it a second time to really make the connections made, which, you know, is what really, you know, leads to movies becoming cult followings. Like you watch the first time, you have no idea what you watched. You have to watch it a second time. You start to get more invested. But after that first seven minutes, um, yeah, not, not much, not much to write home about i guess we can talk about talk about that part next (laughs) well why don't we address the uh yeah wherever we are in the religious other world you know netherworld space with space jesus and stuff because that kind of sets the thor he kind of is like a thor vibe right yeah well, I think he's I, on Wikipedia. He's referred to as being a Christ-like figure, and then Zatin is definitely supposed to be a different spelling. It's like a phonetic version of Satan, Zatin, yeah. um, and then Yahweh is the is his opposition, is Zatin, and that's just straight up fucking God. So um, we get that presented. 
And I guess something that needs to be mentioned is they make explicit. So I think the Christ-like figure has this whole allegory he's telling to a bunch of bald-headed children. Uh, and he is describing this fight between Yahweh and Zatine. And he makes specific reference that, like, at one point, Yahweh used birds to fight Zatine, and Zatine turned into an eagle and fought all the fought against all the birds. And it's like, it, it kind of came off in that allegory as being just one of the many adventures that Zatine and Yahweh had and battled against each other. But then birds come back a whole lot. Um, but never really in a interesting thematic way, just like, if you ever just need to put something in the shot, put a bird in there. It's like it's like uh, Portlandia or something, <laughs> where it's just like, okay, the girl has a pet. What's the pet? A bird. Uh, there's paintings on the wall. What should we have there? Birds. Uh, office furniture with like little ornaments on the tables on the end. What should we put there? Birds. It's a thematic motif, Nate. It's very deep. I... <laughs> 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 Yeah, I guess it's something like that, but I don't feel it felt shallow to me. Uh, yeah. Well, so here's a question for you guys: like they kind of give an outline of that, you know, allegory, but then do we end up finding? And this is kind of jumping way ahead, but we don't really return back to that, like, call it heaven, call it whatever yeah. you want, right? Uh, until the end of the movie, and you find out that you might've just heard like that, that allegory was maybe what we just saw. Cause it was like, you know, he turned into a, an Eagle or a Falcon and fought the other birds. And that's kind of what ends up happening at the end of the movie. So I don't know if you felt like that was them, like starting off telling the allegory, jumping into what had actually happened and then like coming back to it and being like, yeah, and this is why we have this person here now. Or it's cyclical and it just keeps happening like the matrix or something. But to Nate's point, if it's just Zatine and God, like, fighting his birds all the time. Every yeah. every 200 years or so, a child on Earth is born with the possibility of becoming the next Satan. And the only thing that stops them is birds. And Shelly Winters. <laughs> also what happens to Shelly Winters I uh, I was getting I was kind of checking out by the end of this movie when nothing was making sense did she get killed no I think she just continued to clean things in the background she just wander away going and on. never yeah. see her again because <laughs> they give her a lot of screen time like in like the about two thirds in she becomes a very important character and then seemingly disappears well I will say it jumps around a lot at the end to the point where it's like it, it it got to the point where I'm like, I don't know if it's just poor editing or if it's meant to be time jumps, but this character was just here and now they're here. Like, it didn't make a whole lot of sense yeah. uh, chronologically, but... That's not to, not to go back to that first sequence again, but that honestly really is where I was sort of dis- disappointed because I felt like the first four or five scenes, although they were sort of strangely connected i did see the connection which actually was fun like the girl wandering around in the basketball game it's like why is she wandering around all by herself the first time you see the little girl it it looks like she's coming out of a of a like a hatch like she's snuck into the game and then she's walking through the crowd by herself until she gets courtside 
and then there's a scene uh, where uh, 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 Lance Henriksen and uh, the main female lead, um, Barbara Collins. Barbara Collins. They're they're in bed and they are, uh, you know, having like a some pillow talk. And then it goes to a scene where it's back with the 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 daughter, and it's revealed that the the babysitter had fallen asleep, and she had she was pretending to have been there all night playing games, but there there was this through line of like oh she snuck into that basketball game to spy on her mom who had gone out on a date because she was interested then got home made her made her you know babysitter fall asleep so i was seeing all these fun threads and like making the connections and then all that editing and pe- it just like got tired it's like they can't couldn't keep it up well they they really made it seem though at the game that she had some kind of powers because she's yeah, like she staring in, intently She's like looking at one of the players and he's looking into her eyes. So it's like, there's this, like you get the sense that there's some sort of before you even know where the movie's headed, you get the sense there's some sort of powerful thing at play. And then she blows him up or the ball or whatever happens. (laughs) Abdul. His name was Abdul. I remember that. Abdul drives down the court. Um, well, I also wondered, so when they start talking about like how Satan or Zatine is from outer space and came to earth, I'm like, is this a Scientology movie? Because the, it, it's really starting to follow the mythos of, of Lord Xenu a little bit. Um, because in, in that, in Scientology, like Xenu is this, you know, galactic emperor or, you know, space wizard or something and he's evil and then uh ends up like souls end up getting he gets thrown into a volcano or something or souls are with him and it's he's in a volcano and it blows up and all the evil souls get that's they get put into us that's why we have problems um and so it wasn't exactly that but scientology emerged in like the 60s and 70s um so i was just wondering like are they like using that as an inspiration for like where they're taking this movie because i don't i don't know of too many things especially prior to this that was doing a god and the devil are from space that is a really so you're saying you made us watch scientology propaganda Sure. I mean, you know, we can we can watch uh, Battlefield Earth, and uh, I'll have you read the entirety of Dianetics in advance. Have you not done Battlefield Earth yet? Like we have not. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Uncanny, uncanny cinema is not exclusively like. I don't really feel like there's a place I think, for I think Battlefield Earth. I think Battlefield Earth is uncanny. <laughs> no, that's it's, what I'm it's, it's a famous bad movie, and we could do it sometime. Um, but uh, and I've seen it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it would be something where it's like we're watch. It's like the Avengers when you all watch the Avengers, and we're like, okay, it's a famous bad movie. It's not good. It's not really super funny or anything. We watched it, and I feel like that's what Battlefield Earth's gonna be because I don't remember thinking it was like laugh out loud funny just like oh yeah. this sucks just all bad all around yeah. yeah bringing it back bringing it back to the visitor the avengers was was a puzzle it was intriguingly bad like wow this is interestingly bad like wow sean connery made that choice like the people who dressed sean connery <laughs> <laughs> the people who dressed sean connery made that choice Sean this Connery movie. in a giant teddy bear costume. <laughs> it's worth the price of admission alone. Uh, this 
this movie just really gets blase in the middle. Just for and by the middle I mean outside of the first and last seven minutes each way, I think. <laughs> well yeah, so maybe we should jump into a little bit more of the plot as a whole. Good luck. You're up. Uh, you can, oh boy. Uh, he, he he took the he took the lead. Yeah, so we we've kind of talked about the basketball scene and the original like, you know, scene about getting kind of the overview of what's going on. That's maybe the first 10 minutes. Um so kind of like where it leads after that and from the basketball scene as Nate alluded to, they ended up like you have this little girl who is clearly possessed in some way by whether it be a teen or something, but there's something wrong with this girl. We're following her mom and the girl throughout most of the movie. And uh, Lance Hendrickson is the owner of a basketball team that has a cabal of basketball owners or something that he coincides with. I think they're, they're, I think that's just a cult. I think that's like a rose. I just assumed it's the head of the NBA. Is I think, kind of what I, think it's, I think it's a Rosemary's baby s cult, but they have money behind it. Yeah. I mean, when they, when they talk to Lance Henriksen, they say, Lance, you're new to the scene of basketball owners. Where do you get all your money? And he's just like from God. And, and then God is actually this cabal of stodgy white dudes who, yeah. who like to support business endeavors and create the next Satan. Yep. So like basically what they are telling him is he needs to impregnate this woman in order to have a son to, I guess, have another vehicle for Zatine. They need, according to Wikipedia, uh, it's the Satanist goal to have Raymond father a male child with Barbara, who in turn will mate with his half-sister and produce the physical embodiment of Zatine. Mm. So the girl is like half-Satan. The boy would be another half-Satan, but they would presumably both have special powers, and they need to come together with your powers combined. I am Captain Satan. And then he would emerge and take over the world or some shit. I will will say that I looked at the Wikipedia article after watching the movie because I needed some help right. understanding what I watched. And that that Wikipedia article's plot does a lot of heavy lifting to help fill in those gaps. It's not really made clear that she's a half-Satan. It's not really made clear that they want to have a son so that they can mate to make a full Satan. I was picking up on those vibes a little bit. Vibes you, you are weren't? generous. <laughs> I mean, she was pushing hard for a baby brother. Sure, I I don't, but to the point where I she had was no like, idea. I had no idea why she was pushing so hard I, for baby brother. There's True, probably really... a single line, but yeah, until I read that, I didn't get the idea that they were supposed to mate. And so there's probably like one stray line, uh, or maybe it's in the script and somebody's read it and put it in there. But yeah, I was I just thought like, oh, we just need another, or maybe it like I don't know if maybe Satan needs to be male. Like, did either of you watch Hereditary? Like in that, yeah. uh, it wasn't Satan. It was like a demon, and he didn't have to be male, but that was like the preferred form. So they were trying to get him into this demon into a male body. So I don't. Know. I guess this is that Hereditary that is a just... much better film than this. But yeah, it is. go watch if you if you're interested in watching The Visitor, watch Hereditary. <laughs> I guess the whole like uh, you know two kids coming together is maybe like the 
Ghostbusters in me where I just assume like two have to become to get like, you know, she's the gatekeeper. He becomes the key master kind mm. of thing. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, weird like 70s movie kind of thing. Yeah. Nate has um, just anyway, a face yeah, of pure disgust that I enjoy. <laughs> I'm just not enjoying any of this, <laughs> any of that, these thoughts. It's just, yeah. Jimmy, like, this is why you're 28th on the list and falling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I just, the, the, the Wikipedia article does a lot to fill things in. The guy was vaguely Christ-like. But I, you know, the fact that they just come out and say he is Christ-like and, and like, helps, you know, contextualize it, that helped. But really, if you just take the movie on its own, really the only motivation of the daughter is just every scene she's badgering her mom to have a son. You gotta go out with Lance Henriksen. You gotta, I mean, she, like, towards the middle of the movie is explicitly saying, hey, he could come over. You you two could have sex. I can watch, and we'll all be a happy family. And uh, it's like, I don't know why she wants a son so or a, a brother so bad. Um, so yeah, that Wikipedia article um, helped. Well, here's a question I had, especially at the end: is um, is John Houston God or what? What's happening there? Uh, for those who don't know, John Houston, famous film director, did the Maltese Falcon, uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre, many other great films. And then he, his most prominent acting role was in Chinatown. Uh, he has a great role in Chinatown. And he was an occasional actor throughout his whole career, but usually a director. In his later years, uh, he had a big white beard. Um, and he's an older gentleman, you know, in his like mid to late 70s. Um, and he was always known for having this booming voice. And I think he even voiced God in some 60s era religious things. And so he has an image of like kind of a modern God. Like he's not God in a robe with a big flowing beard. But if you were trying to do like a, what's God going to look like in the 1970s, you could probably land on John Houston. And... But the beginning of the movie has him showing up and almost acting like a servant to the Jesus guy. But then at the end of the movie, he's like calling the shots of like, well, I can't kill a child. And and it's like, like he's making the calls. And also he's like battling the representative of Zatine, right? Like at the end in some way, he calls on the birds or... I don't know. It just made me wonder if, like, this whole time we've supposed to, like... And when, well, in the desert, he's there and Zatine's there. So that would make sense. Yeah. It was, like, God and the devil. So I'm just wondering if, like, we're supposed to be faked out that it's he's been God all along and we just didn't know. I just had a revelation. So if John Houston is more of the father of the Trinity, mm -hmm. this Christ-like figure is the son... And then a white dove is part of the giant bird army that shows up, which might be the Holy Spirit. So you got your Trinity there. Um, there's also the fourth part, which is the clay bird with the hidden knife, uh, which is also an important part of the dogma. I believe you mean the shiv. <laughs> yeah. The stiletto. Yes. The, clay, the clay bird with yes, the stiletto. The bird statue it. that pops a shiv. To uh, all the real birds, Lance and the one. 
God's go-to uh, weapon of choice. Yes. But yeah, maybe maybe that was that. Maybe it was the Trinity. Uh, Holy Trinity. But it could be. It did seem like he flip-flopped a bit between like uh, you know like almost like a servant angel going mm-hmm. down and doing the bidding, but also like you said, he was kind of pulling the strings and him being at the beginning, you know, actually like having the vision of who Zatine was. And the only thing I can think of is I feel like, and maybe I missed it, but I feel like they mentioned there was some sort of like general that was potentially someone who fought Zatine okay. in all these different moments. And I, I, it could be him, but I, I remember writing down Zatine and then I wrote down the word general and then that was it. Cause I think I <laughs> just, I was like, I, I missed what it was. I didn't go back. <laughs> that I think was Yahweh. I think that was General Yahweh fought against Satine. Okay, okay. But Yahweh is God. Like, that's a right. name for God. But this was the Christ-like figure that was telling the story to the bald children without General Yahweh slash John Houston's character in the room yet. So maybe... Everybody out there following this? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so just just in case it's not clear, uh, this movie does not really have a clear plot. Um, Jimmy addressed like what some of it does. I would say if I had to boil it down, my note was, and, and other people have said this, similar things, but it's kind of like the bad seed slash the omen with sci-fi religious stuff on top. And uh, I saw someone um, quoted, uh, said, Film.com's David Ehrlich referred to the film as, quote, a remake of The Bad Seed as filtered through the acid-tinged mind of Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky, however you pronounce his last name. Oh, uh, Jodorowsky? Yeah, the guy who did um, to- El Topo, and he did Holy Mountain, and mm-hmm. Santa Sangre. Uh, very interesting director, um, noted for bizarre visuals and dreamlike visuals and stuff. And His movies are more successful than this, by far. Um, but it is there is a similar vibe to it for that but yeah the the bad seed in the omen is definitely a lot of inspiration because you have this little girl who's like full-on evil um similar to the little girl in the bad seed similar to damien she's doing evil shit she knows she's evil or you know or, or knows she wants to get away with stuff some adults are in on it uh and helping her some adults have no idea what's going on, and some adults are like, I know what your deal is. And Shelly Winters is one of the adults in this movie that's like, and she's like fucking slaps her around. Which apparently, uh, Shelly Winters did smack that girl around for real several times during rehearsing, um, <laughs> according to uh, the child actress. But, uh, but yeah, so there's characters like that in the Bad Seed who are on to the little girl and know she's got stuff going on. There's characters like that in the Omen. Gregory Peck eventually is like, oh yeah, my son's a fucking monster. So they it follows some of those tropes from those better previous films, and then it has all this other weird shit on top. And some of the weird shit's kind of cool and interesting, but it, I would argue, doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I, I feel like the biggest miss or gap of this movie is, and I think Nate mentioned it before, is like you don't really know what the intention of the little girl is. Like, yes, she wants her mom to have a baby boy, but then like, yeah, she's also doing bad things, but they're not like 
in the omen, I feel like there are bad things happening to people that are kind of on to him. And so there's intention to that. Whereas here it's like she accidentally or like emanates a gun out of what was a birthday gift and then throws it on the table and causes her mom to be paralyzed. That was one of the coolest scenes though. She, it's her birthday. She opens up a present and she gets, uh, you know, a, my first gun playset. Uh, it's just like a Glock or some shit that's just in there. And she's like, Oh, look everybody. And then, yeah, she just drops it. It goes off. Like she intentionally like throws it. It goes off and yeah, cripples her mother. Uh, shoots it through the spine but that we know that's not what was originally in the box it was supposed to be some sort of again like bird thing it was like some terrifying little bird toy that just said the same thing over again yeah but that meant that she kind of like apparated this gun to replace the bird so that was their intention there to like shoot her mom in which case she's going against her initial intention to have a baby brother so like where where is that from? And then she does harm to other people at times, but like some of it just seems to be random. So yeah, like the gun thing totally threw me, especially in retrospect, because at first I thought it was like one of the Satanist people was like giving her that as a gift, like just because, well, you're gonna be evil, kids, you're gonna need this. But then yeah, it's like then it hurts the mother, but the mother is so important supposedly to them and then later they're like terrorizing the mother and she's doing stuff and they're going to like once they get mad enough to the mother they're like trying to kill her which i'm i'm sitting there as a viewer being like okay i get that like you're fed up with her because of all of your crazy satan shit but you still need her right like like right like she it's like it's not like you can just get right yeah you can't just get another satan baby from anywhere so like i don't that confused me the reason why, and I don't have this word for word because I couldn't be bothered to go back and write it down. Sure. So here's the paraphrase. Damn the it, reason Nate. why they couldn't use another woman is because uh, Joanne Nail, as Barbara Collins um, quote or paraphrase, womb bends that bends reality. Her womb bends reality. That is a line in this movie. Right. That's so why I, they need her. That, <laughs> so, that again makes it even more difficult to understand the Why would you the kill things the that were happening to her? Yeah. Like, need the womb. Yeah, yeah. Like paralyzing her could potentially put that in, in jeopardy and then like what they do at the end where they like seemingly are just like, all right, we're up we're fed up with you. We're gonna just kill you. Like also doesn't seem to be what they were getting at. I thought maybe it, by making her paralyzed she would just kind of lay there as Lance Hendrickson had his way with her. Like, well, yeah, well, to to your point, that Jimmy, didn't come out of it yeah, to your point, like in the Omen, um, his mother starts to discover stuff, and so they kill off the mother because mm-hmm. she's a threat. And the photographer starts to, like is sees images in his pictures that like are start. He's kind of being a detective in that moment, and then you know, like the satanic forces like wipe him out and get him off the map right but yeah it's super confusing of it's like they i mean i i said you know the director didn't direct a whole lot else uh i think the writers are italian as well it's entirely likely that this is one of those cases where it's like 
it's people from another country who aren't super experienced with movies and they don't necessarily know like why certain decisions or why certain tropes are done. So just like, mm-hmm. oh, well, in those movies, they, they killed people off and it's a horror movie. So we got to kill people off. It's like, yes, but characters need motivations. It's kind of like making me think of like Troll 2. It's not as bad as Troll 2, but like in that, like all the decisions made in Troll 2 are like made very earnestly. Like they thought, no, this is how you make a movie. And then people yeah. watch it are like, no, it's not. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I feel like the only person that was killed off with intention that made sense was the detective. Yes. Played by Glenn Ford. Like he seemed to be on to some shenanigans as opposed to being like, hey, the mom getting shot was an accident. We just have to throw it up and be like, you know, sometimes these things happen, right? But he seems to continue to be like, why is that gun there? Like he actually broke into the house and found the bird that was supposed to be in the the present and then and then ended up getting like killed by uh the daughter's like pet. Yeah. I don't know. What, what was that like? Eagle hawk. or hawk or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then the Shelly Winters calls her out the most. She's physically hitting her. Right. She's saying, like, treat your mother with respect. She even explicitly says, You're a like, fucking Capricorn. How dare you? Well, she says, like, she had a <laughs> a child like her. Like, like there's some kind of vague thing that she had some kind of supernatural Satan baby or something. We don't really get much on it. But she's on to this girl and that she's she just flat out says she's bad to her mother. Yeah. And so she's the most on top of things outside of the cop, but unless we miss the scene, she doesn't die. Right. I don't, I don't remember. I do, She definitely did not get like a big Shelly winner's death scene. So if she dies, she gets like shot off camera or something. She, I think her last scene is her talking with John Houston's character and, and sort of asking to come with John Houston to wherever he goes and and John Houston saying it you know it's only for only for the children that I save not for you and she and her kind of going like but I can be childlike I could be a child let me let me come and I think that's it like that's the end of that that whole story which kind of going back to that detective uh by uh, that Glenn Ford plays I think Shelley Winters and Glenn Ford both maybe have 10 to 15 minutes worth of screen time and it's also very like concentrated. Like Glenn Ford is introduced, um, has his whole arc, and dies. I think in in the middle of the movie at, at like ten to fifteen minutes. And you think that when he inter- is introduced, he'll be like the the character you follow through the rest of the yeah. film. And then they just kind of drop him. Uh, it's sort of similar with Shelley Winters, where she has this introductory scene. And then she's just kind of gone for a while, then comes back, and then is gone for a while, and then is back. So I just skimmed through it on mute, and yeah, she, uh, the girls in that, like, House of Mirrors, there's that trippy sequence, and then the House of Mirrors somehow, like, enters into her home. Like, we're suddenly in her home, she's, like, pushing her mother on her, um, wheelchair and stuff, and she's suddenly back in the home. Um, and Shelly Winters, then she's there and she's reacting as surprised. Then she has a discussion with John Houston of what you're talking about, Nate. Um, and then John Houston is like standing out on an airport tarmac with like lights going and he's like raising his hands in the sky like he's calling upon the forces of good or 
who the fuck knows yeah so shelly winters is never seen again after that she just she just wanders off so she gets away scot-free she gets to slap satan around a little bit and then she gets to leave and that that's actually a good uh, something that just i lost the train of thought there on on this the end of this movie she helps uh joanne nail's character the the mother from the Satan daughter, and then they they institutionalize the Satan daughter, and then Shelley Winters just kind of Mary Poppins off. Yep. she's like, well, all safe, all ends well. You know, my work here is done. Yeah, and then and then it's not over, and there's a whole big <laughs> climax, and Shelley Winters just does not come back. Now I want to see like Mary Poppins sequel where she gets the job of having to like deal with this kid. And showing up in her umbrella and like, oh, we're going to need a lot of spoonfuls of sugar. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. um, Any standout bits, bizarre sequences or images we want to comment on? Can we talk about the sound slash music for a second? My favorite part of the movie? I'll say, I don't know where you're going with this, but my note on this was, Every time John Huston comes on screen, the composer thinks they're seeing Shaft and this really weird <laughs> 70s badass music hits. So if he is supposed to be God, it's like, it's God. Exactly where I was going with it. And it, yeah, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, is it like a, like an episode of Charlie's Angels? Yeah. Or like it felt like something that like, Quentin Tarantino something in Manix like Bill Bill or something yeah. like um but yeah like it was almost every time he was on screen times where it was like way off base that one part so the girl so Satan girl is at like the skate park like ice skate uh place and she, yeah. and there's like kids that are screwing with her and so she's like satan powering them like through glass windows and shoving them against walls and stuff and so meanwhile we have john houston who's kind of been observing her this whole time and who's either god or an agent of god or whatever and like while she's doing all this like 78 year old john houston is just like gingerly walking down this this long set of steps the um, longest and just looks like a very old man which is fine but they keep cutting back to him like it's important or he's gonna do something and it's like cutting it's like you seeing your grandfather just being like i hope he's gonna be okay and they keep cutting to him like it's an adventure action scene i'm like ah i don't think this is doing what you're thinking it's doing and then she ends up throwing the kids through the, like glass windows and like sauntering off and he's like ah, i guess i didn't make it <laughs> he never made it that's right he never makes it down space jesus should really give me a younger body for these jobs (laughs) the same thing happened with john houston at the end with the laser light show that he he put on that turned into birds um there must have been like half a dozen to a dozen shots of him just looking down at the at the roof that had the lights going up to the sky down to the lights up to the sky and i don't care how good of an actor you are he wasn't conveying anything to me and it went on for for literally minutes of that and it, uh i just i'm just frustrated yeah but the the music the the shaft music is was a highlight i'd say yes so i did, i did have a bit of a aha moment when i i think i pinpointed exactly what the music made me most closely related to yes i'm excited to hear this um 
I'm going to pull it up on my phone and put it up against my mic. I want to see if you guys can Jimmy's been out. very excited about this. I'm excited about this because I think it, it's good. It's close. You guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, I hear it. So here we go. Can so we, this is. Can we take bets on what we think it is? I mean, if you want to try. <laughs> Knowing the kind of music it is. No. Okay. <laughs> Completely stumped. Right? You know what this is from? Mm-mm. You'll know here in a minute. Is it the A-Team? Can you see it? Spider-Man and his amazing friends with Iceman and uh, Firestar. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. What a pull. But that literally, I mean, that that felt like it was exactly the kind of music. So just imagine that every time you see like 70-year-old John Houston walking downstairs. <laughs> um, Vaguely yeah. to the rescue. Speaking of John Houston, uh, I wonder, because I feel like the way he was dressed in this movie um, is just generally what John Houston dresses like. So <laughs> Just showed up for set. It probably was not a costume designer. I could 100% imagine him being like, I'll do your movie, but you're not going to make me put a costume on. The only other thing I have worth mentioning that I'd, I'd like to just spend a moment on is Joanne Nail's arc, or lack thereof, in this movie. Maybe about, in the very first scene, she admits that her daughter scares her, and that's why she does not want to have another child and then she spends a lot of the rest of the movie ignorantly just spending time around that child as it cripples her and then somebody she like asks shelly winters what do you think of my daughter and the daughter and shelly winters is like tell you the truth kind of a piece of shit and she's like no no and then she wheels off after after being crippled by the daughter and what really bugged me the most about that whole thing was that she never acknowledges that she has been paralyzed. She oh, just keeps going. Oh, like she nothing... acknowledges it once, Nate, because... Well, I because think I worked out the same because thing. Because yeah, there is a point when she is talking with Lance Henriksen and they are uh, on the way to a, a movie or show or something, I don't know, and they need a babysitter, which John Huston shows up to be the 78-year-old babysitter. Um, and he, Lance Hendrickson's weirded out because, like, oh, it's supposed to be a teenage girl. It's like, oh, well, yeah, she must be sick. The agency sent me. Um, you know, that kind of shit. And so uh, Lance Hendrickson asks in the car, do you think he's a child molester? And she goes, oh, no, he wouldn't be. The agency checks these things. And then she follows up with, what about you? Aren't you a cripple molester? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. This woman who was like just just put in a wheelchair like a week ago. That's uh, she's just rolling with it, and that's and that like that's the one of the only times she acknowledges she's just her new existence is in a wheelchair. They've already got an elevator installed. She wheels around with a smile on her face, and she's making jokes about her situation a week after she's put in. I just was completely flabbergasted. Again, it kind of goes back to people reading the script and signing on to do the movie. The fact that you're like showing up for set that day and you see your line is, aren't you a cripple molester? And you're supposed to say that seriously to your co-star. 
it just baffles me. Uh, I did look up uh, if Sam Peckinpah had done any acting. He was in a few films, uh, mostly in like the 50s, outside of The Visitor. Uh, but probably his most, uh, I, oh, I don't know how big his role is in it, but his biggest film that he was in, he was in the 1950s version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, apparently. Did anyone have a favorite scene or po- most, like part of the movie that they enjoyed? I know you mentioned the the mom getting shot was kind of like an interesting... I like that, like just the shock of it was just kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, like that was where they were doing bizarre stuff. And I thought the bizarre stuff had an interesting payoff, even though ultimately it didn't really add up to much. But in yeah. the moment, uh, I also I rewound and watched the sequence where the mother's in a car on the highway with the daughter and like a truck passes them and then stops. And then it's kind of like this UFO imagery that they play with. And the back of it opens up and it's like darkness and light pouring out with like fog and steam and shit. There's a guy standing to the side, all like obscured by the, you know, the blown out light. So you're getting very like alien abduction imagery. And then these guys come out. So they're not aliens. They're like guys in almost like suits like the like et yeah et but i'd also say like almost like a james bond movie like they have like mm-hmm. these weird kind of like villain suits like the henchmen would wear they have these weird masks um so they're definitely like seemingly human even though the movie has introduced space as part of this but they're seemingly like human agents of this satan organization and they abduct the mother, although it gets really muddled of how, because she's like freaking the fuck out. The girl's grinning ear to ear and was like, oh, this is great. And then the mother's just suddenly out cold. And I didn't really know <laughs> how that happened. But the the kind of the way they set that scene and the idea is that they're taking her to then impregnate her. And you get this kind of like also using sort of an alien abduction almost vibe to it. Um, again, it doesn't really go much of anywhere, but just that in a better movie could work pretty well. You know, my favorite part of that uh, scene was afterwards when uh, all the abduction stuff was complete. And then the tow truck that they called arrives and it's the the two people in the tow truck, two black guys from airplane show up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 90 seconds of like legitimate comic relief. (laughs) Yeah. It was literally like show up and it's like, she's passed out in the front of the car and there's a little girl in there and they like look at each other like, I don't like this. <laughs> Not only that, but there's also just like a wheelchair sitting outside yeah, of the car. And that's yeah, like, everything and about tips this it over. Bad. Like, this is weird. I don't like this at all. <laughs> like, I've seen what happens. We're getting set up. <laughs> um, that was good. The other thing I did enjoy was uh, the Glenn Ford like car scene where he's driving away and gets attacked by the hawk and then ends up resulting in him crashing the vehicle and, and kind of getting well not kind of but literally getting blown up mm-hmm. um i enjoyed kind of the a, you know added tension that that brought i feel like that was maybe the most tension filled point of the the movie and felt a little bit more closely to like what you would have expected from like uh, a movie that would you know, like the omen or something like that where it's like there's these bizarre things that are going on that you can't really explain and and ends up resulting in this person you know dying who was on to uh zatine yeah 
Uh, I'll throw out a couple of things that are kind of external to the film, which is the posters. Um, and let me see if I can, if it's going to allow me to send these. It doesn't look like it's allowing. Yeah, damn it. Is the one with the eyeball and the electricity and well, stuff? Yeah, go ahead and look up. Just look up uh, anyone listening, but then our boys here. Look up the Visitor 1979 like poster. So there's two posters for this. Um, one is more relevant, um, and the other one's just super bizarre. Uh, but I think I saw the super bizarre one first. So one of them is a bird, like a crow-looking thing with a hood, I think, on its head, with an eyeball in its mouth, and then like storm clouds, and just says the visitor. Um, it's bizarre. It sells the movie in the sense of like, what is this? Which is what you feel when you're watching the movie. Um, but it's also just like a well-done poster. And then the other one, which I think is like what it was originally released as, has nothing to do with film uh, at all. It's just an, a giant eyeball floating over the sky, over a cityscape, uh, electricity under it, two claw, like cartoon claw hands, and what looks to be like a garrote wire for some reason covered in blood. Although I guess, yeah, they do. That's that at the, the end. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I guess they do that to the mom. But it, yeah, otherwise it doesn't really relate in any way. And it says, they know we are here. What? Who who, who does? What? Uh, classic, classic movie store box oh, art. Oh, yeah. When, oh. You're, when you're walking down the aisle and trying to pick your pick your poison for the night and you totally get ripped off. The only element <laughs> on that poster is the grot wire. Yes. That shows up. <laughs> Nothing else. It's a gripping. I mean, if I was passing it in the theater in like a, an aisle, I, I would have stopped and looked at it. Well, and no, then that's at the back and be like, oh, that's well, that's the thing that put it on my radar for me. I was going through a bunch of old like 80s box art and stuff posters. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's I mean, it I knew that whatever it was likely had nothing to do with the poster. But it was like, OK, yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. And that's what put it on my radar. And then later I was hearing like about the visitor being like kind of a somewhat famous weirdo bizarre movie. And I intentionally avoided learning anything about it. So I was right there with you boys. Uh, and so it was a weirdo bizarre film. <laughs> it lived up to that. Whatever uh, you said that list was, I think they got it right. Yes. They accurately put that on the list. So... Any other things we want to throw out there uh, before we wrap up? Did we think the girl was effective in portraying as, like, creepy? I feel like in the grand scheme of creepy kids, you know, she probably doesn't crack the top 28 like I would on Nate's list. But, um, you know, I thought she was at least pretty effective. And, she, you know, she was saying some pretty heinous things. Yeah. Um, I, didn't think, I didn't think she did a bad job although I don't think anyone in this is like doing amazing acting I don't think they're like terrible but I think it's it's just they're in a script that doesn't really make any sense so you can't yeah. really invest there are no stakes that really matter to you some of them you don't understand some of them just don't matter to you some of them the movie acts like they're important and then just totally throws them away so you can't really get invested in the story or the characters, I feel. I mean, I think there are people that like this movie, but I think they just like it for 
its bizarreness and for dropping acid to it. That would be my guess. That's what we forgot to do. Yeah, yes. you didn't give us that preface, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I. She hit her mark. She hit her, hit her. She had her lines down, right? Which I think with a child actor, you, it's kind of a coin flip. Sometimes you watch movies that have a child role and it's stilted, and you just have to kind of accept it that that's just what it is. And she did. She at least portrayed the character she was meant to portray uh, believably within the film that is. It was in, yeah. And so then, yeah, the 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 end uh, is uh, all's well that ends well. Uh, they defeat evil and Satine for this round or whatever, and we're back. We're back in in space heaven, and uh, John Houston as God shows up with the little girl who now has a shaved head, and she's part of the cult. And though I can't kill children. And now she she's converted and smiling nicely, and so uh, so evil has been defeated for now, and that's uh, that's where we end up. Um, what a journey we've all gone on! <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely a cult vibe to that uh, that that uh... <laughs> and happy ending. <laughs> Looking Good news! You're it. you're here with John Houston and, <laughs> and and what looks like Thor. You're now going to have to have a shaved head. And, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, would you recommend the visitor? Hmm. I'll go first. No. Um, like we mentioned, Avengers. I liked the the Avengers as the puzzle that it was, and like putting together the pieces of choices. That's a kind of fun bad movie. Um, I watched the Garbage Pail Kids with with uh, this group. Uh, that's a fun movie to kind of laugh at <laughs> or or mock as you watch it. Mm-hmm. This one was just kind of frustrating and befuddling. Maybe actually kind of close to the Keep, mm-hmm. which we watched together. Closer to the Keep as far as like just befuddling and annoying. So no, I I say no to this. Yeah, the, the was the was the keep the last one you were on Nate? That was last maybe that was last Halloween. Maybe. I feel like the keep was is probably the closest to what I've watched on for the podcast that kind of connects to this. But the keep I I would have recommended because it's Michael Mann and you know like to close out your Michael Mann filmography. It's like oh you gotta you gotta check out the keep. Um, I don't think that necessarily rings true for. Guillermo Paradisi? I believe Not you mean Michael J. Paradise. <laughs> uh, not trying to close out Hill's filmography. So, uh, yeah. Other I mean, than you're that, not going to um, watch Spaghetti House? I mean, I might watch Spaghetti House now. But. <laughs> it's based on the Spaghetti House siege that incurred in 1975. <laughs> it's really pushing us on learning more about the Spaghetti House siege. I, I, have, I have a feeling a I'm not going to have a choice and I'm going to so have to watch anymore. the Spaghetti House as part of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, probably not. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, I've said on the show before, I often end up recommending stuff, not like I feel compelled to, but just either we're watching things that I already like, or we are watching stuff that's like interesting or bad enough where it's like, yeah, this is worth your time to, to scope out for this. This one's real, like 
kind of on the line of it we've had a few where i will say yeah it's, it's just not worth it where i even i'm like regretting that we watched it just because it feels like it, it wastes it was a waste of an episode i don't think it's that level for this because it did have some bizarre ideas and bizarre images that i think were worth checking out and so that's really all i would recommend it for is if you are a fan of just like unusual filmmaking if you just love out there visuals so like there are some people who are all about cinematography i mean i I don't think cinematography is great but the shot composition in some ways is pretty cool but some people just love cinematography they don't even necessarily care about narrative they just want to see cool shit on screen they want to see cool images um the best examples of that is you know like blade runner and stuff where it's like those are cool images married to really good filmmaking and storytelling um but then sometimes there's just bizarre movies that they aren't really good as movies but they are interesting to look at um and somebody likened this film it might have been on letterboxd um so there's a a movie that came out some years ago i wasn't a big fan of it it was called beyond the black rainbow um and that is a movie that has a lot of bizarre images and it's kind of hard to suss out what the narrative is it's by Panos Cosmatos, um, and he's done a number of films. He also did Mandy, which was more grounded. Um, I do recommend Mandy. That's the one with um, Nick Cage. Uh, Nicholas Cage. And it's out there, has some kind of crazy images, some crazy story beats, but it keeps you kind of grounded in terms of like, all right, I, I understand what is happening right now. Um, and then he also did uh, one of the episodes on Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities that mm. was pretty fun. Uh, it was called The Viewing. I'm looking it up now. So if you've liked his stuff, if you watch Mandy, which is the more famous one, or if you saw Beyond the Black Rainbow, I know it used to be on Netflix for a while on streaming. Uh, this might be up your alley. Other bizarre out there. Um, Yadawarski. How do, you, how do you pronounce his name? Uh Jordanski okay well we'll go with that uh that dude so El Topo Holy Mountain Santa Sangre um you know even like David Lynch stuff you know Eraserhead uh Twin Peaks I'm not saying this movie is similar to those but just in terms of having bizarre out there visuals um there's some things in here that you might be like oh that's that's cool that that's a good uh you know background for my computer screen um, get some screenshots out of it but yeah for the most part i really wouldn't recommend the movie but some people like that kind of stuff or you just have it on in the background like during halloween and stuff as something that's like visually interesting that people can kind of be like put it on mute and you'll get as much or more out of this movie <laughs> um, okay but then you wouldn't get the great theme song for john yeah, that's true it's true (laughs) but you do get to watch john houston gingerly walk down 200 steps so which might be more confusing on mute yes (laughs) what's going on all right so uh that will wrap us up for the visitor uh can i find this uh this uh, we have done a lot of movies on this show um i was recently editing an episode that i it took me a while to get to called sometimes a great notion so that's coming out uh, right now, Jimmy. Uh, dropped today, and I'll I'll promote it tomorrow. But that one on that episode, I talk about how like you can't find that on streaming, 
and that's a really good movie. It's just not available anywhere. The Visitor is fucking everywhere. Every streaming <laughs> service on the planet has a copy of The Visitor. Shudder, Peacock, AMC+, Roku, Tubi, Canopy, Mubi, Drafthouse Films, Apple TV, YouTube, Microsoft, Google Play, Amazon, and Vudu. It's everywhere you want to be if you want to see the I tripped visitor. on it coming into the podcast. <laughs> uh, it is also on DVD and on Blu-ray. It seemed like there was maybe kind of like a cheapo version of the DVD or Blu-ray, maybe a European version that was released. And then um, Alamo Drafthouse, the movie theater chain, and they do like film festivals like they have Fantastic Fest. Uh, I guess they release some films themselves like as a distribution company. I didn't know that. Um, So they have a number under them. And about 10 years ago, it looks like they released a DVD and Blu-ray version of this. I don't know how easily available that is to get, but I was finding it like used copies and stuff on Amazon. So if you really want the visitor on Blu-ray, uh, it is out there. All right. So that is our second Halloween offering. Um, we've got some good ones coming up. Um, we've got one really bad one coming up. Um, but, uh, but most of these are going to be solid ones. Um, And our next one is a movie called Tale of Tales, which is a film centered on obscure fairy tales, like ones that were from 16, 17, 1800s or whatever, but are not really ones that any of us are familiar with. Um, Definitely dark and grisly. If anyone's read Old Brothers Grimm Tales, like the ones of how they were originally written and before they were sanitized, this is like that where there's like blood and guts and things get fucking dark and creepy lots of great practical effects great visuals in it uh a really good cast uh john c Riley's in there um salma hayek's in there a few other notable people and it is by the director of the pinocchio movie that we did on the show a year year and a half ago or something so uh, i've been wanting to do tale of tales for a while So we will be back with our fantasy crew that we often have um, looking at those kinds of things. So that'll be Jack, Eric, and Jess. So uh, join us for Tale of Tales coming up next, and then three more Halloween offerings after that. See ya. Woohoo! Yay.